Hey guys, it's Giles here. I hope you're having a good 2024 so far and all 391 days of January are treating you well. This is just to say that I am working on season 6 and we've got some brilliant episodes lined up for you, but it might take a little longer than I'd hoped because my son, Cassidy Goff, was born last week. He came into this world and he is an absolute star. Claire did an amazing job of pushing out that 10 pound 3 ounce body of his. So, while you're waiting for season 6, I thought you might enjoy this little bonus episode. I gave an interview to the RE podcast a few months back. RE Queen Louisa Jane Smith was doing a little series on finding my religion, and I talked about how I became a Christian. It's obviously a bit different from our normal kind of episode, but I thought you might appreciate this as it might give you a little bit of an insight into my background and how I approach things. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the RE Podcast the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. Now, I've just finished a little mini-series on losing my religion, and this was about people that have walked away from organised religion for a variety of reasons. So I wanted to counterbalance that where I talked to people who have joined an organised religion and to find out why they did that and the difference it made to their life. So I'm really, really happy to invite back to the podcast veteran Giles Goff. Hello, Louisa. It is so lovely to see you. Nice to see you back from your travels from all your exotic lands. I know, with all new ink and new experiences and new knowledge. <laughs> I don't know why, but I kind of wanted to call you Sir Giles Goff. I don't know why. That's okay. Uh, I yeah. respond to Sir quite nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It was funny that my subconscious, I'd had to stop myself doing that, but that was an interesting It's experience. that teacher thing, isn't it? You know, the Sir thing never really goes away, you know? <laughs> no, no, you're still going to be Sir Goff. <laughs> so we're here to sort of talk about your experience mm. with organised religion. So can I first of all just ask you, just to kind of give us a brief rundown of who you are right now, what you do in life, how you spend your days? Uh, okay, so my name is Giles. I am a former teacher. I taught English for about 10 years. Since then, I have worked as a number of things. I've really had a portfolio career, I euphemistically call it. And these days, I work part-time as a media coordinator for my church. So I make all their sort of promo videos and any kind of like print media that they need doing. I work as a, a tutor helping people get through their English GCSEs. I'm an education writer and reviews and also a filmmaker. So I'm currently making some films for Trafford Domestic Abuse Service, helping young people recognize unhealthy relationships. And all of that is right down the list because the main thing I am at the moment is a dad. <laughs> My boy Riley is three years old and... I am a flipping expert at pushing on the swings and I know all the best parks to go to and that really is the thing that takes up the majority of my time. And can you do that thing, you know, when you push and then you have to jump up because you push so hard, you have to jump up to push it back down again. I have never tried that. I will oh. give that a go. Okay, as your children get bigger, they go higher and then it sometimes goes higher than your reach. You have to jump up to push the swing. That is when you know you've made it as a parent. Yeah, but Lou, like... With respect, how how tall are you? Five seven. Five seven. Five, okay, I'm five eight. Okay, it's it's probably comparable. I was thinking like yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you have to jump just high for a lot of things, you know? No, no. <laughs> I'm like five seven and a half. Oh right, okay. So there we go. And actually, we have so many crossovers. I think, and we're both podcasters, mm -hmm. and you do the God in Film podcast. Yes, I knew there was something I did that yes, I left. Yes, you out. didn't mention that. No, I've got a lot on. You do do a lot, and that's. You know, and I think actually your podcast for me is like the two things I love or get most geeky about, which are, are films and God. So they're really fascinating. I've just listened to your one on Oppenheimer, old Oppie, as he's known to his friends, which was really fascinating. So I find you a very interesting person. But actually, in terms of our religious beliefs, you know, we shouldn't get on. But actually, we really do. And actually, we've talked about this. We consider each other friends now. I mean, you say that, Lou, like we shouldn't get on like... Pretty much most of my best friends are atheists, so <laughs> it's one of the one of the key features of me is I've always felt, even despite being a Christian and everything, I've always felt slightly diagonally parked in a in a church context a lot of the time. So, um, so that... I love that phrase, and I want to get back to that in a second. <laughs> I'm just going to have to make a note of it so I remember to use it. That's great, and I I love the the image that that conjures up. <laughs> 
Let's start at the beginning then. So let's go back to your childhood. Okay. What was it like? Was it religious in nature at all? I used to be able to get this all done in like 60 seconds. Like most evangelical (laughs) kids can do their testimony in 60 seconds. But if I did that now, it'd just be spoilers for you. So let's see. I grew up in originally a Catholic background. My dad was Catholic and my mum sort of took us along to the Catholic church there. And I did like christening i did first holy communion we had a lovely priest there i was even can you believe it an altar boy at one point you know we had this like lovely kind of maroon cassock and the little thing to sort of tie it up there and the most exciting part of that was at the end of the service you'd have like a little snuffer outer thing on a stick Mm -hmm. and race the other altar boys to snuff out the candles once the service was done oh man that was the high point i remember one particular time where We'd had like a whole weekend as a family out on the beach and then it came to Sunday evening and I had to go and be an altar boy. And you know what it's like if you spend a lot of time in the sun, you start to get tired, you start to get a bit sleepy, you know? So I fell asleep in the service, like right up at the front. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's like cinema paradiso, isn't it? The other other altar boys are nudging me to wake up. I love that. So I feel like that probably knocked that on the head, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was a lovely church. It was fine, but it wasn't what I would call like an alive church. My faith wasn't something that was discussed in any level of detail, and faith wasn't alive Mm. to us, if you like, you know. So it was almost something you did rather than something that you were. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you would start to go less and less. And yes, it'd be on Sunday evenings, but also Star Trek Voyager would be on Sunday evenings. So, you know, I've got to choose there. And That's a tough call. It's a tough call. Thank you. (laughs) But you chose Star Trek, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, you're damn right. I chose Star Trek. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, so that's the sort of the background, the opening scene, Mm. if you like. Somebody who is nominally a Christian, but not really. Yeah. And like, you know that God is there, but... He's very much at a distance, very, very removed. Mm. And that is pretty much how things go. And then we get to secondary school. Now, I agonized a little bit about whether I'd I'd talk about this or not. And I thought, I'm going to talk about this one particular thing today, and I'm probably never going to talk about it again Mm -hmm. in any kind of online concepts. In the summer between primary school finishing and secondary school starting, I had a really traumatic accident involving my eye. And ever since I've had like a slash cornea. So the way I try and explain it to people is like, it's like looking through blurred glass, you know? So there were lots of operations to kind of stitch my eye back up and all this sort of stuff. And that was all pretty intense, Mm -hmm. you know? And the secondary school that I was going to was very different from the primary school that I attended. None of my friends from my primary school were going to my secondary school, virtually none of them. Now, can you imagine what it was like in 1994 in like rural North Wales having to start secondary school? And because your eye is so delicate, you have to wear an eye patch. Okay. And this may shock you, but teenage kids in the 90s, not nearly as sensitive as you'd like them to be, you know? Mm -hmm. We got rid of the eye patch pretty quickly and I wore sunglasses instead. And then you would have kids saying, it's not sunny, it's not sunny, and you're like, okay, but it's really painful if I take these off, you know? So this starts to set the tone, if you like, for what my secondary school life is going to be. And even if that wasn't the case, I had hair that's pretty much as thick and lustrous as it is now, so kids made fun of my hair, plus the fact my clothes aren't fashionable. I'm called Giles, and I don't sound like any of the kids in school. I sound more or less like this, mm. but because they're North Wheatley and they all sound like this, so I, they all think I'm dead posh. So there were plenty of reasons to get bullied in secondary school. Do you know what I mean? And this starts to, this starts to sort of set a trend where I start to see myself as an outsider. You know, I'm not interested in football. I'm reading like X-Men comics long before it's cool. I'm watching Star Trek long before it's cool. Well, not that Star Trek was ever particularly cool but what you know we do and this starts to build up this kind of dynamic where I'm always on the outside I'm always getting picked on the people who picked a fight with me Mm. in many cases live to regret it but you develop this kind of outsider status if you like you know your friends are far away 
you don't see you've grown apart from them and the rest of it. So that's where I'm at. Then at around 13, my auntie finds out about this other church over in Bangor. And my mum wants us to come along. And it's a Pentecostal church, which if you've been used to like the Catholic church, you know, all the sort of like hymns and incense and the rest of it, seeing people jumping and bouncing around and all that sort of stuff is not what you're used to at all. Also, a Catholic service, you know, you know, in, hymns, sermon, boom, out of there. Like, no messing around. Whereas mm-hmm. these services would go on for, like, two hours or something like that. And, oh, it was, it was hard work. You know, wait, my mum convinced some of our, sort of, like, family friends to come along. So there's me, my brother and sister, and our two friends, Theo and Owain. And we're sort of there going, okay, so, like... We hate this, right? Yeah, yeah, we all hate this. Yeah, this is the worst thing you can have. And to top it all off, I am now definitely missing Star Trek. So, you know, whatever. And we start going there in like the September sort of time of of 96, roughly. And gradually over time, my brother and sister and my friends all start to soften to it. You know, they're like, oh, you know, this place isn't so bad. I'm like, no, 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 no. We hate this place. But, you know... They start to soften to it, and we're going to the youth group, and we're making friends there, and and all the rest of it. And they all then give their lives to Christ, you know, sometime around like early '97. And I am like the last holdout. I am like really kind of just hold out for as long as possible. And then we're having a sermon, and this preacher, I won't name her, but she's kind of the sort of fire and brimstone kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she's Mm -hmm. preaching about hell. And I would love to say that my conversion to Christianity was some kind of like noble motivation, but it was literally, I believe there was hell. I did not want to go there. And Christianity seemed like the least worst option out of the two. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, fine. I'll I'll go up to the front after she's finished preaching when the music starts and the rest of it. And then, literally like she'd heard the thought, she says, and you don't have to wait until the band starts playing. You can come up now if you want. I'm like, okay, so we're doing this. So there's me walking up to the front in front of the whole congregation. And I remember my youth leader comes up to us. He's this like sandy blonde haired fellow called Martin. And he's fantastic. And he says to me, uh, anything you'd like prayer for, Giles? And I say, I think I'd like to get saved. And I swear he gets a smile on the on his face that must have hurt at the back of his head. It's so wide, you know? So that's the point around like May 97 where I become a Christian. And it doesn't, it's not quite clear exactly what you've gotten yourself into at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly what it means to be a Christian doesn't really sort of kick in until later. But it did kick in and... You know, here I am, like, 26 years later, still a Christian, you know? So I mean, I've got quite a few questions. I think, first of all, there's just a few phrases that you've used sure. that I think make sense if you've studied Christianity or been a Christian or at any point gone yeah. to church. Is it get saved? It's Is the kind of giving yeah. your life to Christ being saved? Sure. That actually, for those of us that are not familiar with that phraseology... Mm-hmm. what does that mean to you yeah do you know what i'm so glad you picked me up on this because one of the the goals of my podcast is to never use christianese and stay well away from it my co-host phil will sort of pick me up on things like if i say things like on fire for god and he'll go on fire for god could you, <laughs> could you have picked a metaphor that was less flammable <laughs> so christians believe that in order to receive salvation from god that you have to ask for it you know it has to be a conscious decision or should i say most christians believe that you would probably know better than me when it comes to denominations and that sort of thing but it's that idea that you have to choose you know and the main steps to that would be realizing that you have done some bad stuff in your life and it's stuff that has hurt god in some way so the first step is just saying you're sorry And then just saying that you want to follow Jesus and asking him to come into your life and come into your heart. And there's really not a whole heap more to it than that, you know. So Mm. when we talk about getting saved, 
or giving your life to Christ. That's what we mean, really. Saying the prayer of salvation or that sort of mm. thing. It's all different phrases to use the same thing. Mm. Was there any other phrases I used there that... I mean, I think it's be interesting to find out how you understand the word salvation. Because obviously as RE teachers and students of RE, this is part of the curriculum. This is part of one of the things you have to learn is salvation. Sure. You know, we've got textbooks that can tell us, but actually from a Christian point of view, how do you understand salvation? Sure. Okay. All right. So we get the basic concept of sin, right? Yeah. The way I explained it was like, hey, do you remember that time when you could have done the right thing or you could have done the wrong thing and you did the wrong thing? Well, that's sin. You know, we can dress it up. We can make it more interesting. But really, that's that's all it is. And in the same way that if you imagine that sin kind of hurts God, that he kind of takes it personally. And if you imagine that if you do something bad to a, a loved one, it kind of creates a bit of a barrier between the two of you. Your relationship can't progress until you apologize, say sorry for the thing, and then you get to move on. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the prayer of salvation is just that first step of saying Sorry to God for the things you've done wrong. I feel like I sound like a kid's pastor when I say this. Sort of stuff. <laughs> but that's that's the level I understand things on, so yeah. I'm okay with this. <laughs> and obviously, that doesn't mean that you're never going to do anything bad ever again. You're going to screw up again. You're going to say you're sorry again and again. But like that's the same for like any kind of relationship, isn't it? You know, my understanding of that used to be that if you'd if you'd sinned and you hadn't said sorry for it and you died in that moment, then you'd go straight to hell. But my my understanding has since evolved. And when you are accepted into God's family, you're there. You're, you're there for good. And nothing that you say or do is going to separate you from him. Like, you would have to very, very consciously defy God and say, I am done with this nonsense before that salvation was reversed in any way. Does that make sense? Mm. So it is all about personal choice, isn't it? Is that if you yeah. choose to be saved and you choose to follow God and be forgiven for your sin, or you can choose not to, and that God would honour both of those decisions. Yeah, yeah. And crucially, no one can choose for you. I think since becoming a parent, now one of my big anxieties for the future is like, what will my son choose, you know? And there's a phrase I always like to go for is like, if you believed what I believe, you know, let's let's put aside whether I'm right or wrong for a minute and just be like, how would you feel if you thought what I thought? Does that make sense? Mm. You know, so that's probably the thing that's on my mind. But the stuff you can't control, you know. Yeah. You, uh... And actually you have to parent the child you have, not yeah. the child you thought you were going to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I'm really interested in is obviously when you were part of the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. There wasn't ever a request for you to become a Christian. Like there isn't that sort of understanding within, or certainly in my experience of the Catholic Church, where you had to become a Christian. You just went to church. And I'm just wondering, like, and it's something that we've been thinking about. Right. So I spent some time with Dawn Cox, who is well known in the RE world. We went to Israel together and we had this conversation a lot. What makes a Christian and who gets to decide? Because actually, it's a kind of very Pentecostal, free church type thing for them to make a request for you to become a Christian and then you decide there. Within the Catholic Church, it seems to be more about tradition that you go to church and then you go through the sort of sacraments mm. and then you are a Catholic. So I'm just wondering, sort of from your point of view, what is a Christian? What makes somebody a Christian and who gets to decide that? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. I wish I could make it more complicated than that, but that's mm. that's all it is, you know. And the tricky thing is, like you say, we don't get to decide who is and who isn't. Mm. There are certain indicators that you can find like for example you can't prove that you love somebody can you you know you can't be like ah well you see i did this so therefore it means i love them because but there are indicators little things here and there that just show that that you love somebody in some way my wife claire made me a cup of tea this morning as far as i'm concerned that is a dead mm -hmm. set indicator that mm -hmm. she loves me you know also Having my second kid is possibly another indicator, but, you know, there mm -hmm. we go. So, you know, you were talking about, like, you don't get to choose in Catholicism. It's like, 
I see what you're saying there. I'm assuming you're talking about like christenings and baptism and that sort of thing, yeah? Yeah, and I guess those within the Catholic Church, if someone else makes that decision for you, so if you are baptised, it's generally in the Catholic Church, infant baptism. Yeah. So it's generally other people making a decision to bring you up within the Christian faith. And I, I see that. I cannot speak for all Catholics and I haven't been one for a very long time, so I wouldn't possibly try. But we did have First Holy Communion, you know, and I think mm. in some bits you do still have confirmation. So, yes, in that first instance, you're not choosing whether you're going to be a Christian or not when you're a baby. But you do get an element of choice as you're growing up, you know. Mm. Catholicism is probably like, what, the oldest denomination of Christianity? That or Orthodox? Yeah. So, like, Catholicism has basically 2,000 years of baggage with it that it's kind of picked up along the way. And obviously, one of the things that people were terrified about in the Middle Ages and onwards would be, what if my child dies before they choose to become a Christian? And obviously, in a time when there were much higher infant mortality rates, I can sort of see why people would end up going down that route, even if it doesn't have much basis in reality these days in in my church Mm. we do like a dedication service so it's not a christening it's not a baptism it is literally just saying you know we love this child this child is part of our church family we're going to do our best to bring them up with the values of christ and to let them know that jesus loves them and it's more of a statement of intent rather than a shifting of categories does that make sense yeah 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 I find it interesting that actually almost for you, what motivated you to give your life to Jesus was was fear of death. Yeah. And actually that's not that different from then the traditions within the church that we get to baptize babies in case they die. Yeah. And I, it kind of reminds me of verses in the Bible about, you know, perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. And I'm just wondering now with sort of all your experience and hindsight, when you look back on that conversion, do you think that that is a valid or healthy way to encourage people to become christians i think whatever gets you there is fine by me as far as i'm concerned okay like let me explain that in more depth so like that initial fear made me become a christian but it's not what kept me being a christian yeah Yeah. if that had been all it was then it wouldn't have lasted you know i think if there's a sinking ship i'm not too worried about a person's motivations for how they get into the lifeboat as long as they're in there that's fine that's all i care about sure what i would say is that the style of christianity that i have seen ever since has not gone for that approach Mm. i think it was very much of a time and i don't think it was how can i put it i wouldn't condemn it because as far as faith is concerned it is a it's a reality but it wouldn't be the angle that I would go for. Mm. I kind of accidentally became an evangelist with my podcast, and Hellfire and Brimstone isn't really the angle I go for. It's pretty much, Mm. God, he's so flipping great, and he's flipping nuts about you. He's told all his mates about you. So, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. One thing I just want to talk about is that actually something that we study at GCSERE is like influences of religion. So how does belief influence a Christian or a Muslim or whatever? Mm. Can I ask, just out, in terms of lived experience, what difference does being a Christian make to your life? As in, how do you think it would be different if you weren't a Christian? Yeah. If I wasn't a Christian, I think I'd probably be on to my first divorce by now. And maybe if I'm lucky, my second marriage. <laughs> okay, Lou, you were a Christian in the 90s at some point, right? Yeah. Yes. Do you remember the little wristbands with WWJD? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. What would yeah. Jesus do? What yeah. would Jesus do? Yeah. That's the influence. You know, okay. that is the, that's the main thing about it. And I feel like if you are a Christian, there should be something that can distinguish you from a non-Christian, right? There should be something you could point to and pick out and be like, ah, he does this or he doesn't do that because X, you know? Mm. Now, up until a few years ago, that was really easy to pick out what my particular thing was, and it was celibacy, you know? No sex before marriage was the easiest thing that people could probably point to and be like, Giles is a Christian and he doesn't have sex before marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it made life a lot easier when I was a teenager, when girls aren't even vaguely interested in you. You <laughs> could be like, 
Oh, I'm really sorry. I um, I mean, I'd love to, but you know, <laughs> I've got a note from my deity, you know. And the tipping point is obviously when I get to university and flipping, everybody's doing it except me, and that's it. Had this weird effect, right? Because celibacy to Christian girls wasn't interesting at all. They'd be like, yeah, that's the standard. That's what it is. Non-Christian girls, when they found out that you weren't trying to get in their pants, made you very interesting to them indeed. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And of course, like you've probably heard this, but like you'd go to like a youth event or a young person's event or a 20s and 30s event and you're kind of scanning the room for like potential wife material. And Uh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if this was just me. I talked to my wife, Claire. She's like, no, girls did Mm -hmm. it too, you know? I had to change churches because I'd run out of men yes. in the one that I went to. I'd gone through all of them. So I had to change church to like find a new pond. Okay, right. Now imagine what the flip side is when you know statistically there are more women in church than there are men. Mm-hmm. And you're 30 and still single. So yeah, flip yeah, it yeah. what the hell is yeah, wrong yeah, with yeah. you? Yeah. So that was the easy thing to point to, if you like. And then, obviously, when I got married, then that's not the same demarcation, the same delineation that it was before. So now you're like, oh, okay, what do I do now to show that I love God? What do I want people to look at and say, well, you can tell Giles is a Christian because X. And the best I've got so far is just to try and be the best husband I possibly can and the best dad that I possibly can be. Mm. And trying to live that out because that's what God would want and that's what Jesus would want. And there's a thing I always grew up with was the idea that, like, your kids aren't really yours. You know, they belong to God and you're just looking after them, if you like. So it's my job to look after him as best as humanly possible and to love him as much as possible because I believe that my son is God's son as well. Does that make sense? Mm So yeah, that's what it's like in the macro, in the micro, in the day-to-day. The big difference is just trying to flip and keep my mouth shut sometimes. You know what I mean? There are so many... And you see this in the modern world and social media and British politics. So many things that just make you so flipping angry. And you're like, no, I better just keep my mouth shut and just try and be like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say in this particular moment? But actually, you know, when people say, what would Jesus do? you know, chasing people with whips and chasing them out and turning over tables is within that realm. So I think sometimes if you look at decisions that people are making, I think there's sometimes it's okay to react. Yeah. And that's always the one like, what would Jesus do? Well, he did flip them tables though. And like, yeah, yeah, but people say that, but also you have to factor in, he did that one time, you know, Yeah, yeah. everything else was like love and caring and pay your damn taxes and literally when they sent guards to come and get him, Peter, who is always like my favorite apostle, he's like, mm-hmm. he's not a smart guy, but he's mm-hmm. definitely down for whatever. He literally chops a dude's ear off, you know? Mm-hmm. And like the last thing that Jesus does is like, no, please don't do that. Have mm-hmm. I taught you literally nothing? Mm-hmm. And he picks the ear up and heals it. It's like the last miracle he does before he gets executed is to heal one of the people who's going to execute him, which I think is beautiful. Very gracious, isn't it? You said earlier that you feel like you are a car parked diagonally across two spaces, which I think is really lovely. Diagonally parked in a parallel universe is usually my favorite. Come on. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like This is why you're a writer and I'm not, because you're so poetic. But what does that mean? You know, are there things like from within a Christian context that you find difficult, that you struggle with, that you maybe disagree with? Yeah, 100%. So let me see if I can... How I go at this. So one of the things I really needed before I became a Christian was a sense of belonging. Because I've been kind of pushed to the edges and for being a geek and being different and this and the other. And I found that within that church family that I joined back in ninety seven, that Pentecost family. You felt a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, mm. and that people like you, you know? Mm. So you assume that any other kind of Christian fellowship that you're a part of is going to be the same right like you're christian i'm a christian let's be mates a and yet what i found when i went to university was that the christian union that i joined i didn't fit in with in the slightest 
Now, 40-year-old Giles would like to go back and tell 18-year-old Giles, dude, a CU, a Christian union, is a club, just like every other club on campus. And if you don't fit in with this group of people, that is fine. Do not worry about it. Unfortunately, 18-year-old Giles didn't know that. So 18-year-old Giles goes, hang on, these are God's people. I don't fit in with them. There must be something wrong with me, Mm. you know? And to say that I am a flawed follower of Jesus would be an understatement. I do not pray enough. I do not read my Bible enough. I don't give enough. But what I didn't grasp was these are all things that pretty much every Christian I know has and deals with. And it took me a long time to realize that there wasn't actually anything wrong with me. And I found that I fit in better with my non-Christian friends than I did with my Christian friends, which is a bit weird when you assume that because you have all these values that you're going to automatically fit in. Have you ever had that thing where you're at a big social event and somebody's shaking hands with you and you can tell they're already looking past to the next person Mm. and you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, I don't need to be here at all, really. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt a little bit awkward in that sense. And some of it is pure aesthetics, okay? Some of it is purely superficial stuff. So, for example, like, if I said worship music, what sort of music do you think I'm thinking of? Oh, my gosh. So, me, me, it's 1980s and, you know, Kingsway and Graham Kendrick. Yeah, yeah, not far off. Graham Kendrick, uh, Matt Redman, Hillsong, all that sort of stuff. Very Mm -hmm. sort of, like, hands in the air, very sort of airy, fairy, floaty stuff. And I like something with a beat. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I like my old school 90s hip-hop and the fact that there was never anything like that always means that for the worship section of a church service a lot of the time you're there going uh, okay (laughs) you know (laughs) it's taken me a long time to find worship music that i really like and we Mm. did the god in music episode the bonus episode that we just released where we did like the top 10 mainstream songs with a god connection so that's the superficial stuff the aesthetic stuff there are certain things on a bigger more important level that i struggle with well i used to struggle with and then i came to a very different decision on and the the main thing about that and i think you probably already guess what it's going to be is just homosexuality and the church you know mm. i could never work out why god had a problem with homosexuality because everything else you can see why it's bad you can see the suffering that is resulting from it direct or indirect you can figure it out i couldn't figure this out for love nor money you know Mm. and i kept my mouth shut on lgbtq issues because the secular part of my brain was all in favor of it but there was the christian part of me couldn't work it out and it wasn't until i read do you know undivided by vicky beeching no. Right, okay. I am I am going to flip and send you a copy because yeah, yeah, yeah. Vicky Beeching used to be a worship singer. She's British, but she was a gospel singer over in the States, right? And for years, she sort of had to repress the fact that she was attracted to women, you know? And of course, like the evangelical Christians over in, in the States, much more socially conservative, even more socially conservative than over here. And she ends up sort of having so much stress placed on her, people, one guy wanting to marry her and not taking no for an answer. And she starts to like develop a kind of alopecia because the physical stress that is going through her to the point where she has a breakdown. And when she does sort of come to terms with that part of her identity, she loses everything, you know, all her contracts, all her speaker things, all the rest of it, because she comes out as a gay woman who is a Christian, you were talking about like, what are the things that make you a Christian? For years, I believed that being gay and being a Christian were antithetical, that Mm. they couldn't mix. And the example she gave that always stuck in my brain was in Acts, where Peter, he's on a roof and he sees a blanket He has this vision of a blanket of like loads of different animals on it. And he hears this voice saying, you know, Peter, eat. But there's animals there that are unclean. 
you know, and there's all these different things, and he's saying, like, Lord, I can't eat them because they're unclean, and God himself goes, no, seriously, you're fine, it's fine. And what he took from that was that the word of God wasn't just for Jews, it was for Gentiles as well, mm. you know? Now, Jesus would have done us a real solid if he'd said mm -hmm. in clear terms, by the way, the homosexuality thing doesn't bother me that much, you're fine. But of course, homosexuality in like first century Rome, I mean, the idea of homosexuality as an identity doesn't even exist at this point. Mm -hmm. It's something that you do. And frankly, the things that the Romans were doing it were really not nice indeed. Mm -hmm. And if you imagine that you're getting that from your oppressor society, then I can see how a Jewish culture would be against it. Does that make sense? You know? Mm. But now, what I tend to see of it is that God loves everyone. He wasn't shy about that. He wasn't in any way unclear about the whole God is love thing. Literally, the last thing he says as he's ascending is, therefore go and make disciples in all nations, in Judea, Samaria, and, and all four corners of the earth, you know? He's not saying, oh, but don't talk to those people. Or, don't bother with... It's literally everyone, you know? And that's what's important. And that's the thing that I have biggest problem with, with a lot of, not all, and I really can't stress this enough, there are more people that have a similar view to me out there than anything. But that's the thing which I kind of bump up against in terms of like a lot of Christian orthodoxy. Does that make sense? It does. I, I mean, one thing I'll just ask to clarify, I don't think any Christian thinks that God doesn't love. No, there are a minority of people that think that God doesn't like gay people. Most Christians would be happy with the fact that God loves them, but in spite of their sin and their sin is homosexuality. And yeah. I think that's quite difficult if you're a gay person, that who you are is ultimately sinful. So if you loving your wife was considered to be a sin, that would be really difficult for you yeah. when you love your wife. So I think that actually the issue is not necessarily that we don't feel that God loves gay people. It's the fact that the basis of that love is I love you even though you're gay and being gay is wrong. Do you sit on that fence, which nah, is that, that homosexuality is wrong, but God loves you anyway? Or do you think that actually homosexuality is part of God's natural order. Like, that idea can get stuffed. I mean, with most heartfelt respect to, to other people. <laughs> like, okay. Because love is a verb, isn't it? Love is a doing word. And if you say, I love you, but... Mm. If you say, I love you, but you can't do this. You can't be a kid's worker. You can't be on stage. Then what you're saying is, something fundamental to you is broken. Mm. And that's not love. You know, but then Jesus did say that. So the woman at the well who was having um, an affair said, "Your sins forgiven. Go and sin no more." Yeah. So I think Jesus did do the "I love you," but okay, I love you, but don't do that anymore. So here's the thing that nobody ever asks me about, but there are some things I'm pretty conservative about. You know, sex outside of marriage is a big no, as far as I'm concerned, and that's what he was talking about. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. In most cases you have a choice about the person you sleep with or whether you, whether you have sex or don't have sex. That is a choice. Who you're attracted to, that is not. Like, mm. to put this on, on the scale in context, Lou, if there were negative numbers on the Kinsey scale, I would be somewhere there, you know? I would be, like, super, super straight, except for, like, Orlando Bloom as Legolas in... But I mean, that's okay, because he already looks a bit yeah. like a girl anyway, right? So that's totally, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's okay. And I spent more than a lot of my peers, I spent a lot of my time single as a single Christian. So if you imagine, I get saved at 14, I meet my wife at 32. So that is 18 years of being a single Christian. And the best way I can put it is it's like air and food right so my love for god is like air and my love for my wife claire and just sort of like having a romantic partner in general is like food right mm. now if i don't have air i'm gonna die pretty quickly but if i don't have food i'm still gonna die as well you know there's a mm. i was built to be part of a pair there are some people who can be single and be on their own, and that's great, and I have more power to them. 
that was never me. I was never, it never sat well with me. And mm. it's like there's a need in you that just won't be satisfied until you have a, a person who loves you back. Now, I can say to a person, if you become a Christian, that really does mean you have to stop sleeping around. I can say that with a, with a clear conscience because I did it and I'm not special. And if I did it, then flipping anyone could do it, you know. But I can't say with a clear conscience to someone, yes, God loves you. But this thing of a romantic partner and a family, you can never have that. You could never have that. And the, the frustration I think about this, Lou, is the people who say things like, you know, yes, you can love God, being homosexual is fine, you're just not allowed to act on it. I don't think they really believe that because, mm. like, if you did... It's a bit like saying, you're allowed to be hungry, but you're not allowed to eat yeah. food. <laughs> Isn't well, it? like, okay, think about this, right? So married men tend to live longer than unmarried men, right? Yeah. And two incomes mean you're able to sort of usually do more and have a bit more than than one income and having a family means you're probably going to get a bit more sort of support than you would get otherwise mm. so if you're just a regular person on a regular income you're always going to be financially worse off if you are forever prevented from ever having any kind of romantic relationship so if you really believed that and if you really believed that that was god's plan you would set up some kind of benevolent fund, wouldn't you? You know, you would have money going into it where you would sort of donate money every month. You'd set up something for that to happen. But they don't do that. So if they don't do that, then really what they're saying is we just want this problem to go away. Mm. We don't really want to have to deal with your nonsense. And actually, I think, you know, I've, I've spoken to this before, is that actually some people in the church aren't willing to do that kind of exegesis of, of what texts that claim to be against this actually mean. and Because actually, the church has changed its mind on so many things yeah. in terms of slavery and ordination of women. and Divorcees. Divorcees. You yeah. know, it's continually re-looking at historical interpretations of the Bible and going, actually, mm -hmm. I'm not sure we quite got it right. And this seems to be one area that some Christians are just not willing to accept critical analysis of the text and its context and what it meant at the time and how its meanings changed over time i think that's interesting just as we close jars i mean can i just say i've had a really tough day okay <laughs> today it's been really tough for lots of reasons and actually this has brought me so much joy chatting to you and i could do it all evening but i do want to just ask you one final question which is you know potentially linked to what we've just been talking about if you could wake up tomorrow and one thing was different about the world what would that one thing be? Oh, flipping heck, Lou. I've got a laundry <laughs> list. Good Lord. I mean, where where, where would you actually like me to start? <laughs> like, I appreciate what I'm supposed to say is that everybody in the church would just agree with me on this, but, but frankly, that'd be boring. <laughs> I'd have no one to argue with. I know it's very first base, but can I pick nuclear disarmament? Cause, sure. Because, like, that's the thing that's kind of on my mind. There are... There are some things that everything now I look through in the in the lens of being a parent. And it's like, if my kid was gay, would my church accept it? And also, you know, and this is in the back of everybody's minds, are we all going to die in a nuclear holocaust? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if I could just do the Superman thing, you know, where he scoops up all the nuclear warheads and then just blast them into the sun, that would be my thing. But again, I'm, I'm so sorry. I feel like I've let you down. That's such no, an no, obvious answer, you know? No. And I think sometimes the obvious answer is the best answer and people avoid giving obvious answers. But actually, if that's one thing that changed tomorrow, would the world be a better or worse place? If it's a better place, then it's a good answer. Yeah, yeah, it would be much better, you know. Yeah. So like the idea was that the whole thing with like nuclear disarmament, mutually assured destruction, right? So like, if you try anything with me, I'll respond with you. We'll mm -hmm. both, but I mean... You're a West Wing fan, so you'll know mutually mm -hmm. assured destruction. There's a reason the acronym is MAD, you know? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. also, crucially, it didn't stop any wars. We've still yeah. got plenty of wars going on, and now you've just got the thought of nuclear annihilation thrown in the background. This might be coming off the back of the Oppenheimer episode. It's yes. still fresh in my mind. Yeah, and there is that really beautiful metaphor that threads throughout the film about, oh, we don't know if this kind of nuclear fission 
is going to be an eternal nuclear reaction that's just literally not going to stop and yeah. then the world disappears. But actually, that's a metaphor for the political fallout of the yeah. Cold War, that actually it did cause an endless chain of events of reaction, not necessarily on a nuclear level, but on a sort of like social level in terms yeah. of how society changes. i tell you something, it was weird coming out of that particular moment and then going straight <laughs> into Barbie. Barbie. <laughs> you did Oppen. I did the Oppen Barb, yeah. Uh, Oppen Barb, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a weird juxtaposition of films, those two together. Weirdest double bill ever, but, you know, it yeah. worked. It saved yeah, cinema, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, I love that. Giles, thank you so much. I always love talking to you, and I find it really fascinating to hear lived experience of people that are within a religion. I think that's always wonderful. Is there anything kind of final that you want to leave us with? You are going to talk to, like, other Christians, right? I, I'm clearly not qualified to talk for all of us, and as no. you can see, I'm a bit of a bumbling idiot with most of stuff. The amount of prep I've done for this is I think I've written down like four words or so on my notepad. So Perfect. It's about as much as I did. But that's what I said to you when we had the conversation about this episode. Yeah. It was about authenticity. And I think the less prep we do, the more authenticity we have. And actually that makes us better teachers because it means we yeah. can better represent, you know, not that you represent the whole of Christianity, but you represent an authentic voice within Christianity. And that's important. And actually what I really want, and this is a call for anyone that's listening, are people from other faiths. Like, I come from a Christian mm. background, so I know lots and lots of people who have become Christians or have left Christianity. What I'm interested in is people that have reverted to Islam, because actually they call it a revert in, in Islam, not convert, because they believe that everyone is born a Muslim. And then if you then decide to follow oh, it, you're reverting back to how you were born, which I think is interesting. And I'd love to hear, you know, because actually all the Muslims I mm. know were brought up a Muslim. I don't know anyone who's reverted. So, you know, that's a call out for anyone listening. If you know anyone who you think has an interesting story, just ask them to be 10% braver Fantastic. and contact me. So uh, hopefully, Giles, you'll inspire people by being authentic. Lou, when are you going to come back on my show? Oh, what did we discuss? Let me think. We've got a few options. I think, did you want to do, what have I got you down for? Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, Oh, I would love yeah, to do that. Pap, all right. I'm struggling to see the religious parallels. Yeah, don't worry, that's my job. I've got it. I've got it sorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, my man, I love that bloody film. Awesome. So, yeah, I could do Pap. that. So, um, thank you, Giles, for one, producing a podcast that I can't wait for new episodes to drop and listen to and that I absorb through my meiosis. Osmosis. <laughs> Osmosis, that's what well, I'm looking for, isn't i got to say, thank you, Luke, for your podcast because I have learned so flipping much listening to the RE podcast. That episode that you did with the intersex person, yes. I found absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some of them does have me screaming at the phone. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, no, that's just wrong. So yeah. I clearly couldn't do what you do. But I love listening to it all the same. But do you know what, Giles? You don't have any idea how much of that I have inside my head when I'm talking to some people where I and I have to, you know, be diplomatic because actually I respect everyone's right to have an opinion. And I made a conscious decision when I'd started this podcast. I don't want it to be antagonistic. No. I don't want it to be a critical study of people's views. I wanted people to be able to just feel free to, and have a safe space where they can authentically say what they think. And no, I didn't want to be clever. I didn't want to show people up mm. or spot the flaws in their argument. I just wanted them to have a safe space. And sometimes that's easier than others. And I absolutely love you for that. You know, as a person of faith, we're already credulous. So people sometimes take that to mean gullible mm. or ignorant and i love that you just kind of make a space for people of whatever sort of faith or non-faith that that's that's there it's brilliant because mm. i think the reality is if, if i'd had their experience i would think the same thing as them yeah. and i don't think the same as you because i've had different experiences it doesn't mean that mine is more valid than yours i obviously have a problem if people try to push one view onto someone else yeah or judge people for the view that they have so therefore i have to model what conversation looks like and connecting to people and there's always a part of what everybody says that I can relate to even if I don't agree with everything yeah. and it's finding those those crossovers that I think is really powerful in conversation and gets lost if you try to be antagonistic or critical. Do you know what it's funny I was having a conversation with somebody a few months back and they said a line to me that I've heard years ago which was like you might be fine with them and everything but what if this is the last conversation they have what if they die tonight and you didn't tell them this like yeah that's valid but what if they don't you know you can try the the hellfire and brimstone and approach things but 
probably the best witness that you can be is to not be an asshat about everything. Yeah, Do you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, I do understand that a lot of Christians are, you know, if you fully believe in hell and internal damnation, it's really frustrating if people don't buy into the way out that you're offering mm. them. I, you know, I totally understand that. But actually, very rarely does that work where you can scare people into believing something. Do you know, it's funny, as I've gotten older, I think less and less about hell at all, really. It's not really, mm. it's not really a major feature of my, of my Christianity. It's literally just a case of, I love you and I want you to be where I am. So mm. I get to see you. It's, it's, it's utterly selfish. And do you know what? Talking to, I think it was Waqar Ahmedi, and it was talking about when he is a Ahmadiyya Muslim, and we're talking about mm. the afterlife. And he said, Akira, the, the Arabic word for actually means what comes next. And he said, tomorrow is Akira. Tomorrow is what comes next. And so actually what I do today affects what mm. happens tomorrow. And I think sometimes Christians, you know, a lot of religious people can kind of get stuck in that sort of eternity. Yeah. And actually don't sometimes think about the impact that their life is having on the next thing that's going to happen yeah. in their life. And I think actually that's almost a Buddhist idea is to be mindful and in the moment and grounded. And I think a nice balance between those of being that actually what happens tomorrow is significant. So what I do today is important as well as yeah. the bigger picture if there is, you know, a hereafter. 100%. Giles, thank you. I will let you go and can't wait to release this episode. I think it's going to be so lovely. I think it's felt like a very authentic, very honest, you know, I feel like you've been true to I'm going to get in so much trouble. It's going to be awesome. That's when you know you're doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't make anything cross, you're doing something wrong. So um, thank you so much, Josh. No problem. Thank you very much. My name is Louisa Jane Smith, and this has been the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, but it is not. It's impacting people's life every single day and helping them to be the best version of themselves. But thank you so much for listening to us bore the life out of you. Okay, guys, if you have been, thanks for listening. And we hope to see you soon with our first episode of season six on the eyes of Tammy Faye. If you get a chance to seek that out, I'd really recommend it. Bye.